Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. Hey everybody, this is Sarah, and we're going to be talking about books today. It works out well because this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mother. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity dripping from humidity out here in Denver. It's an unusual day for us. Humidity, that's so funny because this morning just we've been having some marine layer here in Portland and I was like, okay, I can get used to this gray morning and such a beautiful morning here in Portland, sunny from the get-go. And I was thinking of how relatively dry it was. So once again, we have swapped weather. Once again. Well, and and hopefully it's going to be nice this weekend because what do you have going on Sarah that's a nice segue isn't it? <laughs> it is well actually today is the important we record on Wednesdays today okay so to answer your question Sunday the twins turn eight um, it is their birthday uh, but but our main celebration is today Wednesday uh, and we are taking them and each of them gets to bring up their best friend and we're going to Oaks Park which is a city-owned amusement park here in Portland and um, the important person who's not going to be there is Phoebe because <laughs> the twins, um, you, we've done we've done Oaks Park before for their birthday. And f- in the past, Phoebe got to go and bring a friend. And they both, John and Daphne, just raised a stink. And they said, that's not fair that Phoebe gets t- in on their birthday celebration when it's Phoebe's birthday. You know, I'll take Phoebe and her friends to a movie, but the twins don't go with us. So, um, yeah, so they have um, excluded Phoebe from it. Um, so but couldn't Phoebe just come by herself? I mean, because she could go to the... the no, that... Well, because she's older, I guess. They're why? harboring some angst about this whole situation. They are they're holding a grudge, and they are saying, eh, to Phoebe, so... <laughs> well, what's poor Phoebe's going to do? Well, shh, don't tell, but um, on... Um, don't tell the twins, but on some evening when we'll have them at their friend's house or something, we'll arrange it so that then Jack and Phoebe will just go to Oaks Park because I do not ride rides because... <laughs> I do not either. <laughs> I do not either. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I, oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. It's So at Oaks Park, I went there with my um, good friend Chalkley and her daughter Tallulah, who came out from Brooklyn to visit us. So this was a number of summers ago, and we went on this ride. I think it's called the Disco, but I could be wrong. It's what in my day we called the Roundup, and it starts out. It's a um, uh, circle that then has sides to it, and you get and it's um, the floor of the circle is um, you know parallel to the ground, and you get on and you stand up. And then you just put a little chain in front of you and you hold on and it starts to go around in a circle and then it starts to raise and centrifugal force is keeping you pressed up against the wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I don't know why, but I Tallulah really wanted to go on it. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take her on it. And 
like I don't I honestly I must have had you wanted to be the cool aunt the some, cool, you know quote unquote aunt I, and you want that American girl doll too okay I'll get that for you so, so I go on and there's Phoebe and Chalkley you know parked on a bench looking up at us and the moment the thing starts I'm like oh my gosh what have I done and my first thought is I, this thing's got to stop. I, it's got to stop. And and I thought, okay, I cannot yell screaming, stop, stop the machine. So I thought, got to be mature about this. And so I thought, go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. And suddenly I thought, I don't have a happy place. <laughs> so then, oh, my gosh. Now I'm really screwed up. Now I'm in the middle of a centrifugal force. And I realize I'm, like, doomed because I don't have a happy place. Oh, my gosh. So then, so then I was like, okay, that's what I can do to distract myself. I will think what is my happy place? What? Oh, let's have an internal debate as you're whipping around, you know, with three G's pushing you against the wall. Oh, oh, oh. So, that just sounds like my version of, oh. It was, oh, it was, it was pure Dante's Inferno. I mean, yeah. um, it, the circle was uh, truly a circle. And um, so Chocolate and Phoebe to this day will be like, mom, your face looked, you were so panicked. And I was like, uh-huh. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't even get on swings anymore. I mean, it's funny. Like, I grew up, uh, we had a trampoline. Uh-huh. And um, I used to invite my mom on it, you know, because to jump with me. And she'd get up, she'd be like, woo, woo. You know, like, kind of like, I think, like, I don't know, if it was a uterus going up and down. Or, like, something was just like, you know, like, things were shaking around that didn't shake on my, you know, 12-year-old body, you know. And, um, and Our, now, I have like, to say, it. Jonah loved that the, the, the uterus line. So, um yeah you know, and so now i'm like now i mean i literally like the swings make me ill and i mean we even like we i just got tickets to Waterworld, which is mm. um you know a big park here with lots of slides and things like called the toilet bowl and things like mm-hmm. that and i got three tickets and guess who's going my two kids and our nanny i'm like i cannot i, I said caitlin better than you than me <laughs> i mean not only do i not want to like you know go in the toilet bowl but like the idea of public pools you know, that many people, like, I just get a little skewed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's funny, though, because um, Jack, Jack, love him. He found some discount coupon that on Wednesday nights in the summer, it's, I don't know, like $5 off a um, all-rides pass. And I was just going to go and move from one bench to another and watch the kids enjoy themselves. And then I'm like, huh, for $10, I could, you know, like, I don't know, maybe go on two or three rides. But now having this conversation... I think I'm back oh. to the I'm back to the bench because You're I just You're back to the bench. Just, just stay on the bench. I mean, my kids every time I go to like, you know, one of those things, like they always get me to to do the teacups. I don't know oh. why I think I can handle the teacups because I can't. Um, total non sequitur or not even not, it is not a non sequitur and then we'll have to go into our podcast, but do you ever see that amazing race where they had to um, it was at Legoland and they had to assemble like a Lego figurine set on a teacup ride? No way. I mean, would you just absolutely just lose your lunch a thousand times? I mean, I would quit the show right there. (laughs) Sorry, Phil. I love you, but I am out of here. Like, Good to know that that's what's going to break you. It's not going to be like swimming with sharks or like letting a hundred spiders crawl over your body in Mongolia. You're like, no way. Legos plus teacups. I'm out of here. (laughs) In a first world country. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. So, um, well, so all this talk of amusement parks in summertime, um, the, the you had the great suggestion that we do a podcast. Or, well, you know what? 
I had the suggestion that we do something about reading and books on our website, which then you took to be a summer reading podcast. And and then you were like, yeah, you had that idea. I'm like, hmm, no, I didn't. <laughs> Don't you remember, Sarah? Right. Right. We're a team effort. We're a team effort. <laughs> yeah. You know. so, so somehow between the two of us, we came up with the idea of having um, suggestions for summer reading with the theme being that they are books about sports. So, um, so we each, each chose a few books, and um, I was thinking uh, I th- both of us. I think we were kind of divvying up who got to have marathon one by Catherine Switzer on her list, and you won that arm wrestling match. But um, so I think yeah. I think yeah. we're taking you down. Me and Catherine are taking you down. Yeah, and that Boston, I'll take you. <laughs> yeah, and if you've seen the, if you saw the photo that Dimity uh, posted on our Facebook page yesterday, you know that she would easily beat me in an arm wrestling competition right now. That picture of you from Iron Man uh, that it's was a little scary. Brand uh, email, he's like, that is fierce. <laughs> okay, Valley Girl, that is fierce. Tyra Banks got nothing on you. Exactly. <laughs> Here we are talking about books, and amazingly enough, this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Several of the books we're talking about on today's podcast are available on Audible.com, including Flatwater Tuesday by Ron Irwin, The Secret Race by Tyler Hamilton, and Iron War by Matt Fitzgerald. So you can listen to somebody else rather than Dimity and me trying to read some little snippets of it. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mother. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mother. So yeah, so we're going to lead with Marathon Woman. And I wanted to, you reminded me that I got... Catherine to sign both of our books when I got to meet her um, at a very small um, kind of all comers meet in New Canaan, Connecticut, when I was out visiting my parents in on June thirtieth of twenty eleven. Um, so let's start by reading what Catherine wrote in our books. Um, what did she write in your book, Dimity? She wrote, finding the page, um, Dimity. Running gives us everything. Dot dot dot, especially ourselves. Mm. which I love. I love that. It gives us everything, especially ourselves. What did she write in yours? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Sarah, who loves the magical activity and how it changes all our lives so wonderfully. Go for it. Okay, Switzer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I almost kind of rip, want to rip that page out and just frame it, right? <laughs> right. But then that would ruin a book. And I, you know, that's against my... Uh, against Your credo. My... Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so Matt, Marathon Woman, as, as you probably well know, Catherine Switzer was the hooded lady who signed up for the Boston Marathon as Kay Switzer. And um, I read this a long time. It was at 1967 that she did that, Sarah. I'm, oh, boy. My, my history is Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Yes, in nice, okay. bold, orange letters on the back says, in 1967. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought you pulled that out of the recesses of your brain. Yeah. So anyway, so she was the woman who kind of interloped into the then only males race and, um, and kind of changed women's running. And she changed women's running in every respect. She worked um, for Avon and helped get the Avon's Women Running Series on the stage. I mean, she's one of these women that just, you just see her and her energy just comes out of her. And her book is very, very well written. Mm-hmm. She, um, yeah. She's a former 
journalist or she had yes. a writing background. I mean, she went on to be a television commentator and, and cover, do a lot of coverage on that um, aspect. So she knows her way around words. I mean, as that that's the thing that for me makes this book. It is not only such an inspiring story, but it is so well written and so well told. And just really, it's, I mean, those scenes of her when she'd go out running when she was you know, in college and just what she'd be wearing. And, you know, she would always, what she started wearing kind of unitards because, you know, there were not great sports bras and and things like that. And it was just, you know, you could just see her with the shabby sweats and the unitard and out there just putting in the miles with the, you know, Oh. Well, and she, and she, and you know me, I mean, you've written, co-written with me enough. Like, I love the details. The details mm-hmm. for me is what makes a story. And I mean, I was just, you know, on one page here, she's talking about, um, I think it was the 1973 Boston Marathon where she wanted to go under three hours, either mm-hmm. 73 or 74. And she was talking about how there were um, 2,400 runners and 11 porta johns. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the women there were only 52 women in the race and they had a little toilet in the church, um, in a close by church. So like they never squatted, they went into their church. Um, and this is the year she started, she ran a lot in a tennis dress um, right. because she found that to be most freeing. And, um, she was talking about how like, you know, the, um, the Vaseline had kind of grayed and under the pits on the dress, you know, she put it on <laughs> so much that the sweat plus the Vaseline kind of gave it that awful yeah. pitted out look. Right. Um, and then, you know, she carried a tampon in one pocket and then in the other pocket, she always had the, um, times that her, um, uh, serious boyfriend had, um, had written for her to kind of keep her on track. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's just the details. Um, but I mean, something, you know, I'll just read a little bit of a passage of her mm-hmm. attitude and why I just love this book, why we both love this book too. Um, so, um, her boyfriend says, how do you feel? It was a question Philip had never asked before. I looked him in the eyes and then down the road ahead. I am going to run the hell out of this race, I answered. And I was, too. I wasn't even afraid of the distance or the inevitable pain or the competition or anything at all. I just wanted to attack it. Every damn interval for the last two years had been aimed at going under three hours. Every waking thought, every dream, every nightmare, every time I said no to a beer or I got up to an alarm I hated, every one with my eyelashes and snot frozen on my face or heat so hot the tar had stuck to my shoes had been for this. And what a gift. I was here at last and healthy and I was going to launch the final ship to see if it had sailed over the edge of the earth. And there was a wind at my back. Hmm. I mean, I love that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, um, not to put too fine a point on, but I can't help but think that you felt a little bit of that as you were staring down Iron Man. I mean, that, you know, the whole, it all came down to it and it all aligned perfectly. So, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, I, I definitely, I get that. I, I get a little bit, but she, I mean, she had a point to prove. I mean, I was just out there with, mm-hmm. you know, doing my thing, but I mean, like, you know, I mean, she wanted to go under three hours right. in a marathon to I prove it. It wasn't just her running for herself. I mean, it was her running with every woman, every guy who says, are you kidding me that you can run that fast? And why are you even running and your uterus is going to fall out and all that stuff, you know, yeah. Yeah. it just, um, you know, not on the trampoline, but on the hills of Boston <laughs> Marathon. So anyway. This is, this is the uterus podcast. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let me just read one other little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. That she's talking about. Uh, and I think this is also in the, um, part of the Boston Marathon. And I just like how she talks about running. She really puts you in the moment. Mm -hmm. Five to go. Just keep going. Don't think. I began running through runners who were slowing, stopping, bent over, grabbing the back of their legs. It was as if the other side of Heartbreak Hill was the dark side of the moon. 
my quads were pinging like a bad engine. Four to go, a little up, then a little down. Not sure I like downhills now. Three to go, flattening out. Townhouses flying past this year. People in street. Zoom. Quads feel like there are little razor blades inside of them. Coolidge Corner coming up. Cross the trolley tracks. Careful, careful. Watch it. Cross the tracks. Okay, two to go. Knees are glass. Put them down gently, gently. Don't break. Please don't break. Now. The Sitco sign, one to go. I love that. Mm. These are glass. Put them down gently, gently. Mm. Very gifted writer, very amazing woman. So if you haven't read it, Marathon Woman is your number one book. That's your first reading assignment from this podcast. It truly is. Yeah, I was thinking that as you were reading, I was like, okay, out of all these books, that is the one that people have got to walk away with and and go get. Um, So I have, speaking of the Boston Marathon, one of my uh, choices is Devoted, the story of a father's love for his son. And it's by Dick Hoyt with uh, Don Yeager. And um, Dick Hoyt is um, part of Team Hoyt, which is um, he and his son do marathons and Ironman, and the, um, they do them together. But the uh, u- unique thing is that the son, Rick Hoyt, is in a wheelchair, and he is a grown man. The um, I did the math, and right now um, the son is 51 and the dad is 73, and they are still out there. And um, they started running together in 1977, and um, uh, I got the pleasure of seeing them in when I ran Boston in 2012. And I tell you, I nearly... It was right before I hit heartbreak, and I nearly fell to the ground. I was so overwhelmed with emotion when I saw them. And just the the love and devotion and the the connection that the two of them have. And so the book is about that, and it's a fairly slim book. Um, it is um, uh, about 200, yeah, about 200 pages. And it just, you know, just tells their story about um, everything from, um, you know, Rick, the son. He suffered irreparable brain damage um, moments before his birth, and he was the uh, first of the first of their kids, and then together they've run Boston 27 times, and they've only missed it twice due to medical reasons since they started running it in 1981. Which to me is just, I mean, when you think of all the things that come in in the way of life to 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 be able to keep doing it that many times. Wow, um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really simple writing. It's not um, it's not as you know, exquisite prose as Catherine Switzer's book is. But it's just, it really tells the comprehensive story from the beginning all the way up to this book uh, came out a few years ago. And it's just, I mean, to me, it's really a story of their love and devotion. You know, it's about running, sure, but just the love between a father and a son and, you know, have a box of Kleenex handy because it is just um, very, very moving. Um, just from them just stating the facts is very moving. So, sure. um so um, I want to read a passage from this. And um, oh, and the amazing thing is, is that so they, um, the Hoyts live outside of Boston, and but they, you know, the Boston Athletic Association wasn't cutting them any slack, even though you know it's the dad pushing his son in a wheelchair. They said, nope, you got to qualify just like everybody else. Fully grown son, not not a forty year old toddler. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, sure, he has you know, forty year old, a forty pound toddler, not a forty year old yeah, toddler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, you know, and and sure, you know, this um, son Rick is in a very high tech wheelchair but still it's it's very um you know it's pushing a lot of weight and so um the dad had to qualify just like everybody else did and he did and he um 
started running, he didn't, before 1977, he was not a runner. So four years later, he was able to qualify for the Boston Marathon, um, pushing his son. So, um, so it's, it's just really amazing. So if, and, you know, they're at the Boston Marathon Expo and, and they're just really fully ingrained into the um, fabric of the Boston Marathon. Um, so the quote I want, or the section I want to read is, um, one of the main reasons we run every year in Boston is that it's gratifying to know that we're not only we not only fit in somewhere, but we are also respected. People want to meet us and share their stories, something I find incredibly touching every time it happens. Total strangers come up to us before the race and shake our hands, pat us on the back and say, we look forward to seeing you every year. It's not a Boston Marathon unless we see you two running. They want to take our pictures and wish us good luck. And I just like, you know, hear these... You know, the, the Boston Marathon can sometimes seem like this ultra serious place and that everybody's so intent on their times and they're, you know, looking all their split shorts and their their cut calves, as you always say, Dimity. And yet yeah. that, that, that even those runners are still very moved by this story of the father and son. That's great. Well, they just won an ESPY um, like oh. last week. Oh. Um, and I don't know what it was for, but I remember seeing a little news blurb about it. So um, so oh. they're you know getting acknowledged. Well, they've gotten acknowledged throughout their long, you know, very storied history. But um, it's just great to see that they're still out there and still getting the, the praise and the acknowledgement that they deserve. Yeah, yeah, that is great. That is great. And I, I um, also, I mean, that they've done, you know, Kona, Iron Man Kona several times. Oh, I know. He, he pulls him on a raft. I mean, he pulls him on a raft for 2.4 miles. I mean, God, yeah. just hats off, hats off. If you don't mm-hmm. think you can do something, just go re-devoted. Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. get the Think of the Hoyts. Yeah. Well, so let's plunge from totally inspirational, amazing into the dark, deep world of <laughs> Tour de France racing and um, and all the drugs that uh, that circulate among it. I mean, I have to say, I used to love the Tour de France. I'm a very jaded fan at this point. I mean, I just saw a story on outside online that like three of the top finishers in 1998 were just um, found to be dopers. And so it just, it just kind of makes a fan weary, you know, mm-hmm. because you just never know whether or not they're doping. They're not. Should they be that good? You know. Um, and of course, I want to g- gossip about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this book has that, um, and it's called uh, "The Secret Race." Um, it's uh, inside the hidden world of the Tour de France doping cover-ups and winning at all costs. Um, written by Tyler Hamilton, who um, was one of the cyclists on the tour for many years, um, and Daniel Coyle, who is an amazing, amazing writer. Um, has written quite a bit for Outside, Esquire, a bunch of different magazines. So he is a very talented writer. And and part of the reason why I really like this book is I think I saw um, Daniel Coyle on uh, 60 Minutes or some interview as it was being released. And his thing, and he writes about this in the introduction too, is he said, I if I ever like fact check anything or come across anything and find that you're lying to me, Tyler, like we're done. Like mm. this is the truth or it's nothing. It's not going to happen. Um so I just really, um, you know, it's Tyler's truth, of course. So, you know, Lance Armstrong would dispute it. Maybe Floyd Landis would dispute some things in it. Um, but it's the first book that I found that um, really goes in and explains how they did it. Mm. Uh, you know, how they dope, which, I, you know, to me is just intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, let me read this little thing. So this is um, in July 2002. Um, Tyler's riding the Tour de France. Um and uh, Lance just is winning his fourth. Um, and uh, and he's talking about BBs, which are called blood bags, or it's, mm. it's the abbreviation for blood bags. So it's when they pull out their blood um, in the middle of training, um, you know, full of the oxygen-rich red blood cells, 
I think that's right. Don't <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but it's their fresh blood. Let's call it their fresh blood. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they reinsert it in the middle of the tour when they're just weary and broken and they get this nice jolt of fresh blood. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so when it came to my own BBs, the system was at once simple and complicated. It was simple because few people were involved. Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. BarkBoxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first BarkBox. Dimity let BarkBox know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free, because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel any time. Free shipping in the continental U.S. For a free extra month when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com AMR. That's BarkBox.com AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com AMR when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash AMR. Just me and Ufi, which is the doctor who's helping him, basically. It's U-F-E, so I might be saying it wrong and I might be saying it right. Mm -hmm. Ufi. Um, it was complicated, but it was because we had to be sneaky. Before the tour, Ufi would figure out the times and places for our meetups. We usually did the BBs on the tours, two rest days, always in hotels. Ufi was good at picking middle-of-the-road hotels, never too nice and never too shabby. He would tell me the names of the hotels before the tour when I saw him in Madrid, and I would keep the names on a scrap of paper in my wallet, along with the number of Yuffie's latest secret phone. He was always changing numbers. The morning we were to meet, Ufi would send me a text on my secret phone, the prepaid kind I bought that was only used with him. The message would be one sentence, like, the drive is 167 kilometers long, or the address of the restaurant is 167 Champs-Élysées. The words were complete nonsense. All that mattered was the number. It meant he'd be waiting in, a, in room 167 of our prearranged hotel with my BB on ice and a picnic cooler. Oh. I, I, I'll read what you want. You want, you want one more yeah. paragraph? Yes. Okay. I never took a team car. Usually Haven, who is now his ex-wife, um, would drive me in our car. I wore my usual undercover outfit, street clothes, sunglasses, baseball cap pulled low. We would park in the back of the hotel and go in the service entrance, avoiding lobbies at all costs. That was one of the drawbacks of being semi-famous in Europe. If a journalist spotted me, it could be disaster. Normally, I hated walking fast. 
That's the other thing about cyclists. They don't do like they have no upper body strength. They don't. All they do, the only time that they push themselves is on their bikes. Um, so he hated walking fast, but I sure did it now. Full steam, head down, up the stairs, through the halls, tap lightly on the door, heart beating a mile a minute. When Ufi opened the door, I felt like hugging him. Oh, oh my gosh! I just want you to keep reading, reading, reading that. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of behind the scenes. Um, well, stuff that's about the doping, but there's also some good gossip. Do you want one sentence about the gossip? Oh yeah. 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 We like gossip. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Floyd Landis, um, mm-hmm. you know, who was uh, also, um, a wonder kid from the tour, mm-hmm. um, Floyd and I started hanging out occasionally. So Floyd is on the postal team and Tyler's not on that team anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Floyd and I started hanging out occasionally. He and I would see each other and join up for a ride by ourselves. Floyd would good naturedly bitch about the latest stuff postal was up to. We never talked about doping. Instead, we talked about how Lance was jetting off to Switzerland or how pissed Lance got when Floyd decided to see how many cappuccinos he could drink in one sitting. <laughs> 14, it turned out. Oh or how the entire team was forced to ride with the Champions Club, a corporate group formed by Tom Wiesel, who I think must be a backer of the postal team, I can't remember, mm-hmm. and his millionaire friends who like to ride with postal during the training camp every year. We called them rich man rides. This kind of corporate showbiz offended Floyd's Mennonite sense of honesty, in part because because he thought it was unfair to the team to force them to add value to Lance's corporate relationships without getting paid. Mm. And in part because riding with a bunch of amateur millionaire wannabes was patently ridiculous. Hey, if I were an NBA fan, I'd love to watch the Lakers train, he would say, but I wouldn't bring an effing ball. Oh man! Wow! And we should also mention that Floyd Landis is the one who um, he got disgraced fairly early, and he got his title stripped from him. And um, he has openly talked about his doping. So I mean, he and he was one of the first to come forward. So yeah. So anyway, so if that's wow. interesting, I mean, it's just kind of fun behind the scenes. And I mean, you know, so many athletes dope and get caught. And and I think Tyler is the is the one who's talked about it the most honestly. From and I've read quite a bit, but I could be. There mm-hmm. might be another book lurking out there that I don't know about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm. So again, nice. that's called Secret Race. Nice. Um, so I, my next book is a novel. Um, imagine Ooh. that. I know. Uh, You're all highbrow on us. Yeah, soon, yeah. <laughs> well, and also um, one of the many, you and I joke about the um, how we are opposites in so many ways and that I am much more the fiction type and you're all about the nonfiction. So I thought I had to throw in a novel um, to be in keeping with that. So this is um, just out. It just came out in June. Um, it is called Flatwater Tuesday. It's by um, a guy named Ron Irwin. And um, sorry, it's not not about running. It's about rowing, our other sport, um, Dimity, that we both started out in and what got us involved in running, right? So, um, so and I, I just, you know, rowing has kind of a history of wonderful books. I mean, I could have chosen um, several others to, to talk about. I mean, um, David Halberstam's The Amateurs is the one that jumps to mind. Um, Amateurs. I just finished Boys in the Boat, which was my probably my fourth choice. Um, that's out out at Costco right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a good book. Yeah. And, and um, so Flatwater Tuesday is, um, it's a novel along the lines of a separate piece. I'm sure, please tell me you read that in middle school or I do, high school. But I- asked me to recall the plot and I can't remember. Well, if I you mean, I, I remember reading it. Yeah, okay, good. Good, good, good. So, um so it is the reason it's reminiscent of that classic is because it's set at a prep school and um so it shifts between current day New York City the, and um 
the protagonist, whose name is um, Rob Carey, um, his year at um, a New England boarding school in the late 1990s. And so current day is is now. And then um, he was in school. He's remembering being back in school about 15 years ago. And he's this Rob Carey character. He's a single sculler, which means that um, when he gets to school, it's just him in this one boat with two oars. And but this prep school that he's been recruited to go to for um, what they call a PG year, a postgraduate year. So he'd already gone through four years of high school, and then he spends one final year before going off to college. And this school, this fictional school, is all about rowing in fours. And um, so that means that there's four rowers and a coxswain, and then each rower only has a coxswain the person who steers, and that you have um, each rower just has one oar. So um, it just switches between that, and there's several kind of, I don't want to say mysteries, but sort of things that are alluded to earlier in the novel. And so you're kind of guessing like, well, what happened to his sister, Wendy? And why did one of the guys from his four commit, you know, become an addict and then end up committing suicide? So huh. it's interesting. It's got the sports. I mean, it definitely, I mean, Ron Irwin does a great job of um, breaking down rowing and kind of describing it so that a layperson can understand it, but without being pedantic. And um, so it keeps you going with, you know, wondering, kind of understanding those mysteries. And then like the um, Rob Carey is having problems with his girlfriend and you don't quite understand until about the middle of the book what the problem is. And so it just it's very um, it keeps you going with those. And it's also very evocative of high school and kind of a prep school experience. Neither one of us went to a boarding school, but um, best, day of our, best days of our lives, right? Who doesn't want to relive high school right now? <laughs> You're so funny. I love, I spent two years at a private high school as a day school, but I loved every minute of every day at that school. Um, so maybe that's why it spoke appeals to the East coast rower in me. Um, and it's just, it's well-written and it just really um, paints a picture of, you know, the, trials and tribulations of being young and and dealing with sports and the drive and the this Rob Carey guy he had won his age group or something at the Canadian Henley which is a very prestigious race so um has really great scenes of rowing and you can almost kind of feel the mist coming off the water in some of the scenes so um there's this I don't want to spoil the the book builds toward um a scene at a um a race that held a lot of significance for the people involved and so I don't want to spoil that. So I wanted to read something that came earlier when Rob Carey is out on the river rowing against the kind of uh, his nemesis in a way, who's the captain of the team, this guy Connor, um, who's incredibly strong. And this Rob Carey is just, you know, kind of in awe of his uh, and a little bit envious of this guy's talent and strength. Um, so I spun my craft and dipped the oars into the water, flung down a few quivering strokes, then settled into a smooth set that left me feeling as if I were being borne down the river only inches above it. I shot by him, then slowed down to wait for him to catch up. I watched Connor's back as he leaned into his own oars, his eyes level, the black shafts extensions of his long arms. As he drew even, his blades disappeared into the river and his boat began to really move. I drove into my oars. When I floated forward into my recoveries, I could hear his breathing and the splash of his oars. I heard the tiny drops of water falling from them as he gathered for each new stroke. Lungs burning, I glanced over my shoulder at the dock, a blur just visible over the waterline less than 800 meters away. That's nice. Yeah, that brings back a lot of memories. I mean, I was, you know, the, the, the thing about rowing that is so 
I've never really had it with running, but you get this like very good flow slash nirvana. Like you just get the boat swinging, right? And it's mm-hmm. just it's hard to do in a one person boat in and in a skull because, you know, the swing kind of comes with the more weight in the boat and the more people, mm-hmm. the more you swing and just kind of, it is just, it looks effortless. It's not effortless, but man, does it feel just amazing, right? Oh, and the little, um, the little flip, 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 flip of the water against the hull of the boat. I love that noise. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's truly a, a very special sport. Yeah, so it, it captures some of the magic of that. So if you've ever been kind of curious about rowing and are looking for an intriguing novel, I recommend Flatwater Tuesday by Ron Irwin. Nice, nice. So my last choice is um, a book called Iron War that came out um, last year, I believe. Um, and uh, it's by Matt Fitzgerald. And the subtitle, I have to is called uh, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and the Greatest Race Ever Run. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is my, my, my forte that I love. And that's not my forte because I'm not good at writing them. Um, what would what, what I call it? My interest, my strongest interest? Uh, your passion. Your... My passion, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, give me a good nonfiction story, especially a sports story, and pretty much I'm, I'm good for the day. Um, <laughs> So anyway, so this is a story about Mark Allen, Dave Scott, um, in in Hawaii, in Kona, which is where the Ironman World Championships are held in 1989. Um, and so they were out for. Um, and I have to know. I have to interject. They are kind of the legends. Like it seems to me, like people who don't even know very much about um, the world of competitive triathlons have heard of you know kind of the Dave Scott, Mark Allen. I mean that was back when I don't know. It just seemed like it held more of the they got i don't know triathletes back then you could name kind of rattle off you know it's the paul and newbie frasers they had they were a little bit more household names than they are these days wouldn't you say sure yeah 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 i'd agree i agree and they had you know definitely a very a big rivalry and and matt fitzgerald goes into their different personalities very different people you know different backgrounds um he just does a really good job of telling the story um and so in 1989 um they basically came down to the, the the um Iron Man came down to uh, somebody winning by 59 seconds. Oh my gosh, over a yeah. 140.6 miles. 140.6 miles. Yep, yep. So I won't give that up. Um, and it's a long book, but honestly, like both Grant, my husband and I read this and we couldn't put it down. I mean, it's kind of like in a thin air. Like mm. you kind of know what happens, mm-hmm. but it's you can't and you, you can't put it down. And it also has pictures, which I always love. Like, um, you know, you like pic- books with pictures. That's dimity. <laughs> <laughs> well, the color pictures, you know, like they have like, oh yeah, I love them. In the middle, yeah. Do you ever do that? And then you go oh. back and look at the picture again, study it for a while, and then go back and read. And then oh yeah, because because you also pick it up. You look at them before you've read a, a word of the book, and they sort of don't mean anything to you. And yes. then when you read more of it, and then you go, oh, I get, it. oh, I understand who that person is standing next to her in that picture or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So this is a little bit of a longer one, but it's, again, it's a good fire you up kind of running thing. So this is, they're coming in um, off their bike um, and they're about to head out into the run. Um, they now tear open their transition bags and pull on their running shorts, shoes, singlets, and headwear. Dave dons a visor, mark a cap. Mark is first to burst out of the refrigerated semi-darkness of Kiao Hau Ford, that's the hotel. I'm not saying that right. Sorry to any native Hawaiians. Um, and we enter the stifling heat and midday glare of the island day. He runs like a fugitive through a gauntlet of clamoring spectators besieging a roped off path that cuts across the parking lot. Dave emerges seconds later and accelerates to a near sprint, panicked by Mark's novel position ahead of him. So Dave had, had led the whole bike, um, but just by bar- barely. As Mark reaches out, 
to grab a cup of Exceed sports drink from a volunteer at an aid station located within the confines of the parking lot. Dave nearly clips Mark's opposite elbow with his own and passing him. Whether accidentally or intentionally, only he knows. Having overtaken Mark, Dave does not relax, but persists at a pace that seems to seems certain to leave him completely out of gas within a couple of miles if he keeps it up. Mark watches Dave pull away and finds himself momentary, momentarily paralyzed in disbelief. Gathering his wits, Mark begins hauling after him. By the time they escape the hotel grounds onto, again, I won't even say the street, a street that begins with E, the pair is shoulder to shoulder and locked in a rash game of back and forth speed one-upping. Grip, who is Mark's, that's his nickname, Grip has cast aside the game gamesmanship of following Dave on the bike and now refuses to let Dave nose ahead no matter how reckless his tempo. The most knowledgeable spectators among the roaring hundreds lying the road on both sides wonder if the rivals have lost their minds. The pace is unsustainable by a long shot. Have Dave and Mark become so lost in their lust to destroy each other that they now risk destroying themselves? Not quite. They know what they're doing, or at least what, they, at least what they're feeling. As they tear through the first quarter mile of the marathon, both men are gauging the status of their legs. It is a moment of truth. After four and a half hours of hard cycling, a triathlete's legs will inevitably become sore, stiff, and heavy, causing the transition to running to lack coordination. Nonetheless, he can feel right away whether he's going to have a bad run or a good one. With a surge of confidence, Mark discovers that his legs feel better than they ever have after the Ironman bike leg. This realization gives him the courage to match Dave's crazy tempo. Beside him, Dave detects the same sensations in his own legs, and so, with a kind of sadistic delight, he forges ahead with his pre-race plan to terrify Mark into mentally imploding with a vicious early run pace. Mark is, in fact, astonished and alarmed by what Dave is doing, but he would rather he would sooner die than let him go. So that's just the first quarter mile of the run, and he just does a great a great job. Fitzgerald, Matt Fitzgerald does a great job of putting you right in the race and you know, rooting for your, for your favorite. And it's just a very, um, it's a, it's a great book. Wow. And is this the same Matt Fitzgerald who writes so many, um, kind of running yep. technique books? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Wrote, like, yeah. Like racing weight and, um, you know, the runner's brain, I think is what it's called, but it's or mental something about, you know, your, your brain on running. Um, yeah. So he's a very, he's like a, you know, a dietitian. He's very knowledgeable about sports and running and he's written a lot of um you know how to and guides and stuff but this is his first shot at uh a narrative yeah well, yeah sounds, exactly well it sounds intriguing yeah 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 dimity i'm so, gonna need you to bring all these books next time we see each other and you can, you can loan them <laughs> to me oh exactly exactly <laughs> yeah so um so the um a couple other books uh that we wanted to recommend um uh, we don't I don't have this next one on hand so I can't read a um excerpt from it but we both read it it's Swimming to Antarctica by Lynn Cox who I described to Molly this morning is um probably the most prolific uh distance swimmer there's ever been wouldn't you say Oh definitely yeah. definitely Yeah so um so it is about it is um memoir by Lynn who is a professional writer and about her growing up in California and taking to the water off of, um, I believe it's off of Santa Cruz and how um, swimming off of there. And then ultimately, as the title implies, that she wanted to swim in Antarctica. And, oh, I mean, if you are living somewhere where it is hot and you want to feel some relief, just dive into this book because <laughs> you can you can taste the salt water and feel the iceberg, iceberg-strewn ocean all around you. I mean, it is just, it really puts you right there with her as she is swimming in some amazing, amazing waters. 
So. Yeah, I mean that's one of my favorites too. And when you when you said you were going to pick that one, I was like, oh, good, good, because I love. I mean, she her excerpts have she's written for the New Yorker. I mean, so she is not um, some hack. She is again a very very talented writer. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I there are some parts that I remember so well. I mean, she did the first um, during the Cold War. She swam across is it the Bering Strait that goes from yes. Alaska mm-hmm. to Russia? Mm-hmm. Yes. And she had to write to Gorbachev and have him okay it. And so she, you know, she was. You know, I don't think that she like, you know, began the Cold War resolution, but she was definitely a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote about swimming around um, the tip of Africa and having shark divers with her. Right. Yeah. Uh, she swam down the Nile and she wrote about how just vile garbage, that was. yeah, garbage strewn and oh, yeah. Uh, and then, the, and then the Antarctica one, the the um, the the kind of the the apex at the end. You know, so she um, had to. I remember her writing about. Uh, having to, she went to, she had to have like science on her side. So she would go and sit in these tanks that mm-hmm. were progressively, you know, colder and colder and colder and sit in there for, you know, I don't know how long she sat in there, but have, you know, a scientist and a doctor monitor her heart rate and mm-hmm. her, you know, vital signs to make sure that she was going to be okay. Cause it's not like, you know, if you and I were to go jump in the Antarctic waters right now, we would die. Yeah. Our know? hearts would so, stop automatically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she really had to kind of acclimate herself to it and, it, you know, and then um, this was on 60 Minutes too. Actually, I mean, I, I remember watching it. Um, she because they were there filming it, uh-huh. um, and and again, and all the logistics because they had to you know take a boat over from the tip of South Africa, and you had to have the right weather and mm-hmm. South America. I, I just, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, South. I just eat that stuff up with a spoon. I love that stuff. So um, I also yeah. love how much of it you remember. I mean, here you, you always tell me you're like, oh, Sarah, I don't remember a single thing I've ever seen in a movie. But yeah, I don't. I don't. I remember nonfiction stuff. I uh-huh. really do. I truly remember that. So because I loved that book, I uh-huh. love that. I couldn't tell you this, the the title. I couldn't tell you a single thing about the separate piece, except for maybe was it written by John Knowles or something. Oh, look like at that. you knowing that. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, Do that. Uh-huh. But um, but I couldn't tell you anything else that's, about it. That's so funny. <laughs> Once again, I remember so many details from novels and then I'm like oh gosh the nonfiction is just swimming in my head all these facts and, and uh, yeah, yeah yeah I think it's just naturally what you're drawn to I mean again we're kind of yin and yang it's a great combination but yeah, yeah I, I, I you know I, I, I think I have to go read that one again and that when I was looking for a past a passage in Marathon when I'm like oh I want to read this again mm-hmm. I definitely read that again so yeah and, yeah. and the yeah and the doping book you know right. just for to keep things a little slutty a little <laughs> national inquirer right <laughs> oh my goodness so you know we got to wrap this up because i got to go get my hair cut dimity so <laughs> so we are going to put <laughs> literature and fiction and novels and all these i gotta get my hair cut. well because so i'm I, uh, I... and also because uh tomorrow the oregonian is sending a photographer over because um uh, another mother runner is going to be featured in Oregonian either next Tuesday or Thursday on the front section of the business section. So front nice. page of the business That's your section. Daily paper out in, out it in is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Well, have a good time. Look beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you want to sleep in a, you know, one of those kind of netting caps to keep your hair all, because isn't that the, isn't that the rub with haircuts is you go and you get them and they style it just lovely and you're just like oh my gosh I look great and then and then and then you know you come home and you either sleep on it or you have to wash it after a run or whatever you're like wait why can't I do that with my hair <laughs> well see my lady has to uh I have wavy hair as you know Dimity but people haven't seen me I have very wavy hair and so my hairstyle is blow blow dries my hair and then flat irons it so it is super duper straight so she can kind of see the right lines and everything and so then I have this really flat very straight hair 
And it, um, people are always like, oh my gosh, Sarah, your hair looks so different. Oh my, and I'm like, it'll never look like this again. <laughs> and, and the kids, oh, because the kids used to tell me I had messy hair. My kids did. And oh, uh. mama, your hair's not messy. I like it. Oh, thanks, Daphne. Love you too, babe. Um, uh. And, um, but I've come to, th- I used to always want straight hair and it makes my face look too long. So I'm actually, um, I'm okay with washing it tomorrow morning or at least having it look like I, you know, a little, I get some wave when I sleep in it. So oh, a little tussled, a little tussled, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tousled, tousled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just tussled. Mm, nope. Okay, hold on. Pause. Tussled. Oh, tussled. Yeah, I think you you, you look thank it up you. another I time. I win that one, one for Dimity, seventeen for Sarah. But at least I got in the got in the column. <laughs> it's all a game, isn't it? It's just like the books. It's all about sports. Oh. Competition. I'm going to look it up and we're going to find a different one that pronounces I'm going to keep searching till I find one that pronounces it my way. Household. I mean, have you ever heard anybody say it like that? Yes, I have. Besides you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Also, it is all right, O-U. Right, Victoria. <laughs> well, all right. We got to end this because I got to go get my hair cut. Um, <laughs> so look for us on Facebook at Run Like a Mother, the book. Our website is Another Mother Runner. We will have all these books uh, on the site, on our post, as well as um, links to being able to get them. And we are on Twitter at The Mother Runner. Our two books, which are fantastic reads, let me tell you um, Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother, they're available on Amazon.com. And many happy miles. Mm-hmm.